My subject for your consideration for a few moments this morning is simply shield of faith. Paul wrote to Timothy and four times mentioned this. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Somebody say good warfare. He wrote it again in that very same epistle. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Someone say, good fight. Someone say, good profession. He wrote it again in his second letter to his young protege, 2 Timothy 2 and 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Someone say, good soldier. And finally, at the end of that same letter, he said to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Someone say, good fight. And so that begs the question, why is this, this life living for God, why is it a good fight? I can't give you all the reasons. I can give you the ones that the Lord laid on my heart. <laughs> Here's why it's a good fight. Number one, God is fighting for you. Number two, it's a good fight because if you're a child of God, you win. Number three, it's a good fight because the devil loses. Number four, it's a good fight because your battle, whatever battle you're in, it has an expiration date. It doesn't last forever. And number five, it's a good fight because the fight only makes you stronger. And I feel like saying that again about four times. Second Corinthians, Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He writes to the great church in Ephesus and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I would never presume to add anything to the Apostle Paul, but if I was going to put a comma and say one more phrase, I would say, especially in the day that we are living in. So what Paul is trying to tell us is, you got to remember, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against other people. No matter how they may treat you or mistreat you, no matter how they may abuse you or misuse you, you're not fighting against them. There's a bigger battle, and it's a spiritual battle. 
The devil doesn't need your home or your health. He doesn't need your possessions or your finance. That's useless to him. What he's after is your faith. If he can destroy your faith, if he can damage your faith, if he can make you walk away from your faith, if he can make you give up your faith, he has won and you have lost. So you've got to remember who and what you are fighting against. You are not fighting against other people in your family or at your job or at your college campus or in this city, you are fighting against the enemy of your soul. And so Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, he continues and he says this, the very same thing that he had said in the first verse, verse 11, I guess. He continues and he says, wherefore, take unto you, here it is again, the whole armor of of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Somebody say, withstand. Somebody shout, stand. Stand, therefore, having, this is the armor, the whole armor of God, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul has just given us the secret to victory, the secret to success, the secret to triumph in this war of the spirit that we are engaged in. We wear four things when we put on the armor of God. First of all, we wear the girdle of truth. The devil is a liar, but the believer whose life is controlled by the truth of the word of God will defeat him every single time. The girdle in military terms was a belt that held all the other parts of the armor together and it also held the sword. Unless you walk in truth, you have no right and you have no confidence to use the word of truth. But if you walk in the truth, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There is no one more free than someone who knows the truth, has the truth, and is willing to use the truth. And then secondly, Paul said, We wear the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate in military terms in Bible days. Don't let the the medieval image here fool you. The breastplate was made of metal and covered the upper body in both the front and the back. The breastplate of righteousness. The devil cannot accuse the believer who is living a righteous life. If you want to hide sin and fool around with the world, you're on your own. But if you, through the power of the Holy Ghost, are letting the righteousness of Christ live through you, then you have great confidence in God and the devil cannot bring an accusation against you. Quite frankly, the life you live, not on Sunday, this is easy. The life you live all the other days and hours and weeks of the year. 
That life either fortifies you against Satan's attacks or it makes you it makes it easier for him to slip into your life through all the cracks you've allowed and he will defeat you. Righteousness protects your heart. Righteousness is not a bunch of rules. Righteousness is the power of the Holy Ghost letting you be changed from the inside out. So you get to do whatever you please, but as one preacher said, but I please to serve God. It pleases me to follow after God. The breastplate of righteousness. And then Paul said, you need to wear the sandals of the gospel. A Roman soldier's leather sandals were bound about the ankle and they were studded underneath in the sole with hobnails so that his feet, when he took a position, would not slip in battle no matter the terrain. We can be secure in our relationship with God because we stand on the gospel. But please hear me. We don't just stand on a theology of the gospel. We don't just stand on biblical literacy that allows us to know the gospel. We stand on one thing because the gospel only becomes peace between you and God. The gospel only becomes the gospel of peace, not when you hear it, not when you know it, not when you understand it, but when you obey it. And if you've obeyed the gospel, you've got nails in the bottom of your spiritual shoes. The devil can come in like a flood, but you can withstand the flood. The devil can bring the fire, but you can withstand the fire. The devil can make the battle hot and heavy, but you've got the gospel underneath you because you've obeyed it in your life. And finally, the last of the four things that we wear, the helmet of salvation. The helmet in Bible times was made of leather and strengthened with metal. It was vital for survival, as you can imagine, because it protected the head and the brain. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary, it provides daily protection for your mind. The blood bought our salvation. The blood provides our salvation. The blood is the helmet of salvation. It provides daily protection for your mind. It allows you to reject sinful thoughts out of hand. It allows you to repel crippling doubts and all kinds of attacks of the enemy. Because let me tell you, your mind is a battleground. And if you've ever needed the blood of Jesus to cleanse your mind and your thoughts every day, you need that today. So when we put on the whole armor, someone say the whole armor. Someone say the whole armor of God. We wear four things and we carry two things. We carry, first of all, what the Lord pushed upon me to talk to you about today. I read a book a couple of years ago and the guy had a wonderful thought about the shield of faith. And I thought, wow, that'll preach. I'm going to write that down and someday I'm going to go back to that. And I felt just kind of pushed toward the shield of faith. So I went and looked up that thought that that guy had written in that book. And it's a tremendous thought and it will preach really well, but it's not true. And I thought, well, that's not going to work. A little bit of study in history showed me it wasn't true. So here's what's true. The shield of faith is the first thing that we carry. 
The shield in Bible times was large. It was made of wood, not metal. In Bible times, it was made of wood, and it was covered with very tough, thick leather. A line of soldiers could literally put those shields together like a bunch of squares, and they could make a solid wall. And if they got together... If they got in unity, if they stood side by side, they could literally push through the advancing enemy forces. That's why we come to church. That's why we worship together, sing together, pray together. That's why every once in a while a pastor will break up the monotony and the routine and say, lay your hand on somebody. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to get everybody's shield of faith aligned together because if the church ever advances together, everybody carrying their shield of faith, we can push the devil back out of homes and families. We can push the devil back out of churches and cities if we just advance together. That's why the enemy was so scared of the shield of faith. And so the enemy would use burning arrows in Bible times, what the Bible calls fiery darts, an arrow with some kind of substance on the front of it and they would ignite it, light it on fire and then shoot it because those shields were made of wood. And if they could penetrate one of those shields with enough fiery darts, with enough burning arrows, they could light that wooden shield on fire and then it had to be cast away. You can't carry a shield that has been lit on fire. And that would render that soldier totally defenseless. And that's why before they ever went out to battle, Soldiers in Bible times would soak those shields in water until they were completely saturated. It made them a little heavier, a little less convenient, but they would saturate those shields in water and then they would go to battle because a dry shield can be set on fire by the enemy. But a soaked shield, the Bible says it can extinguish, it can quench any burning air arrows, any fiery darts. That's why your pastors stand here week after week after endless week and try their very best to keep you from having a dry Sunday morning service and a dry Sunday night service and a dry Bible study service and a dry prayer meeting because the enemy can shoot you full of holes. The enemy can shoot you full of fiery darts that will consume your faith. But if the people of God could ever saturate those shields of faith and instead of having a dry service say wait a minute I came here to soak in the presence of God I came here to soak in the worship I came here to soak in the word I came here to soak in prayer I got about five people, but I think I've got more than that. But see, the Sunday morning sit-down spirit is here. I wish I could get some people that would stand to your feet and say, Pastor Raymond, I did come to soak my faith in the atmosphere of this service. I didn't come to be a spectator. I didn't come to just go through the motions. I sure didn't come to stay dry. I need to soak my faith in what's happening. Yes, 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 yes. 
And how in the world do I soak my shield of faith in water? Yeah, I'll tell you why. That's a good question. I'll tell you how. Glad you asked. Ephesians again. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. That's why you need this word in your life. You need to listen when pastor preaches it. You need to listen when any young preacher preaches it. You need to listen when an evangelist preaches it. And you even need to listen when an old guy preaches it. There is power in the word of God. It'll wash you. It'll saturate you. It'll soak you. You need to know that word. Go ahead and be seated. You're scared to sit down. Romans chapter 10. So then faith. We're trying to get that shield of faith operating. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my assignment this morning, I'm not teaching on every piece of the armor. I was sent here to talk about the shield of faith. And let me tell you about this shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my assignment is to get just enough word in you that something in your spirit will receive Respond to God's spirit and it will ignite something in you. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Watch this. So that things which are seen, someone say now, were not made of things which do appear. So the things we see now, they weren't made of other things we can see. The things we see now actually came out of things that don't appear. They were not made of things which do appear. We just assume that this has all gone on forever. But there was a point millennia ago when God himself spoke everything we see, spoke everything we can touch, spoke everything we can experience. He spoke it into being. It did not exist, and then he spoke, and it existed. That is why I stand here in one trillion percent confidence and tell you that God can speak an end to your trial with one word of his mouth. God can speak deliverance in your family with one word out of his lips. God can speak an end to your sickness with just one word from his mouth. If he could speak all of this world into existence with a word, guess what he can do for you? Anything. Well, I don't understand faith. Well, here's what Noah Webster said about faith. Faith is firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Or, he said, faith is complete confidence. I'm not very smart, but I've got complete confidence in the God I serve. I trust him. I have given my life to him. I'm not looking for a different master. He is my master, my savior, my Lord. Warren Wearsby, the great Bible commentator, said, true Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and in spite of consequences. I like that. But the writer of Hebrews 
he gives a definition of faith that it's not really much of a definition. He doesn't really tell us so much what faith is. He describes how it works. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance literally means it's the support underneath it. So faith is the support of everything you're hoping for. I address a group of people and I don't need a special prophetic gift. The law of averages says there are a lot of people here with a lot of hopes and dreams and you want something better tomorrow than you've got today. Let me tell you, the key to that is faith. Faith is the substance. It is the support of everything you hope for. And then he said, it is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is literally the proof of what you cannot lay your eyes on today. You can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't describe it because it doesn't exist yet. But because you serve a God who can speak a whole universe into existence with one word, you have proof. I don't have any proof that I can take to a lawyer. I don't have any proof that I can take to a banker or a doctor. I don't have any proof of any of that. But I've got this proof. Faith is the evidence of things that I haven't even seen yet. How do you know, Pastor Jack, there's going to be a revival that's going to fill this building? Well, I've got some proof, and the proof is my faith. Faith is the proof. It is the evidence of things I haven't even seen. Mark chapter 10, Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is impossible. Already got that memo. But not with God for with God all things are possible I didn't say it slow because I'm running out of gas I said it slow because you need to hear it and Jesus looking upon them saith I wonder what he'd say if he was looking upon us today he'd say the same thing he'd look at all your situations He'd look at all your circumstance. He'd look at all the places where the devil has attacked you and people have let you down. He would look on all that and he would say, I know, I got it. With men, it is impossible. If you've got an impossible situation in this room this morning, I've got the word of God for you. With men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. You need it a little plainer, more succinct? Okay, here you go. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Now we normally interpret those two verses exactly the same. That it means with God anything is possible. But take a look at that second verse there, Luke 1.37. Look at it this way. With a God like yours, ending up with nothing is absolutely impossible. When your faith is in God, you're always going to get something. You're never going to end up with nothing. Because that's what faith is, brothers and sisters. Faith is is absolute confidence in God when you see nothing. That's what faith is. There is no earthly 
evidence that would give you joy. There is no earthly evidence that would let you have peace. There is no earthly evidence that would keep you from just giving up and throwing up your hands. But see, you've got a God. And with your God, nothing shall be impossible. What he's really saying is faith, it operates even when there's nothing out there for it to attach to. Because faith, <laughs> whoo, faith is the evidence of things not even seen. And that's why Hebrews says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. For he that cometh to God must believe two things. You got to believe, number one, that he is. And secondly, you got to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, that's good news or maybe bad news because if you'll diligently seek him, he's going to reward that kind of faithfulness. But if you're lazy, maybe that's your bad news because you don't want to be bothered diligently seeking him. But if you will diligently seek him, the word of God assures us that he will reward faith like that. You say, I'm, I'm old and tired, Pastor Raymond. I don't know if I can manage that. Well, here's Abraham. He's 100 years old. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but that old elderly patriarch, he was strong in faith, and all the while he was waiting, he gave glory to God. Why? Because Abraham, that old centenarian, is that what you say? He was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. That's all we need to touch down in a service like this. That's the one bomb of the Holy Ghost that just needs to explode here. Because if that happens, anything can happen. If that happens, anything is possible. That we are persuaded that what God has promised, he is able to perform. Have I got anybody that could give me more than a Sunday morning fist bump and say, no, 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 no. I'm not just playing. I really believe that. That whatever my God has promised, he's able to perform it. I'm not just cheering and patty caking. Whatever my God has promised, he's able to perform. He's not just able to perform it when we need a universe. He's not just able to perform it when he's dealing with Abraham. He's able to perform it for me. My goodness. Somebody say, the whole armor of God. We wear four things, and we carry two things. We carry the shield of faith, and we also carry the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the only offensive weapon provided in the Christian's armor. And the writer here, Paul says, it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. Of God. It's enough of a weapon because it's the Word of God. If you ever learn how to use this weapon, there is no enemy, no devil, no force that can come against you. For the Word of God is quick and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two edged sword and it can pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul, your mind, and spirit 
the eternal part of you. This word is so powerful that if you will allow it today, it can get between your carnal thinking, your worldly thinking, all your past and all your scars, all your guilt and all your shame, all your pain, all your humiliation, everything you've ever done wrong, every sin. But if you let the word work, it can get between all that you've been thinking and the eternal part of you. If you let the word work, it's sharp enough to cut you asunder from your past, to cut you asunder from your sin to cut you free of your guilt and shame and pain if you let the word work it's a two edged sword it can cut you loose my 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 it is so sharp so powerful it can divide asunder between soul and spirit. It can divide between joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Now, when Paul writes that verse, he uses a very distinct word. He could use the word logos, which means the whole counsel of the word of God. Logos is like we see in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And the Logos, it was with God and it was God. That's Logos. Logos is the whole counsel of God. Logos is the whole revelation of God. Logos is all of Scripture and all of Jesus and it's amazing. But there's another word. It's not used nearly as much in the New Testament. And it is Rima. Rima is not different than the Logos. If somebody tells you they got a word and it's not from this word, they didn't get a word, they got a vivid imagination. Rima comes out of the Logos. It's part of the Logos. It never contradicts the Logos. But Rima, the reason that word is used in Scripture is to define when it is not just the general, all-encompassing, overreaching, overarching Word of God, but it's a specific portion of the Word of God. If you will, a specific word for your situation. Jesus, let that happen this morning in your name. You see, the Holy Ghost will lead us to specific passages of the Word of God. You can't read the whole Bible every day. That's not the point. You'd be better to read one scripture today and somehow internalize that scripture through faith and walk in that scripture today and then read another verse tomorrow then you would be to just mindlessly go through a bunch of verses and a bunch of chapters and check off your list. You need more than just all the revelation of the word of God. You need a specific word from God every once in a while in your life. And when the Holy Ghost reaches into the Logos and quickens a word, it becomes this. He said, the word of God. God, that sword of the Spirit, it is quick. That's not Logos, that's Rima. When you get a word from God, I'm speaking to somebody, you've underlined it in your Bible. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'm talking to somebody, you've underlined it in your Bible. Thou shalt be saved and thy house. I've, I'm talking to somebody that you've got a scripture every place that the sole of your foot treads, I'm going to give it to you. And you've underlined that scripture and you've prayed over it. I'm talking to somebody that you've got a word from the Lord for your situation. When you get a specific word like that, you have just picked up the sword of the Spirit. Don't just swing once. You need to go after the devil and you need to chase him out of your mind, out of your life, out of your heart, out of your house, because you've got a word from the Lord. 
The psalmist wrote, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. If you ever get a word from God, it'll let you worship him through the worst kind of junk that the world can throw at you. If you ever get a word from God, you'll be able to wield that sword while your life seems to be caving in. If you ever get a word from God, it's going to give you peace and joy that the world didn't give you and the world can't take away from you. I'm here to tell you somebody, you need to leave here with a word from God in your spirit today. Somebody say the whole armor of God. We wear four things. We carry two things. And we do one thing. Praying always. That's what we do. We cannot fight against the devil in our own strength. Praying always does not mean always saying prayers. Praying always, if I was a previous generation preacher, preaching to a previous generation, I would explain it this way. It means leaving the phone off the hook. But I can't say that anymore. Phones don't have hooks anymore. They have touch screens. So here's what it means. Praying always means leaving the phone on speakerphone. We got it now? That means praying always is not that you're always in a posture of prayer, on your knees, hands folded, looking angelic, like a precious moment that's in a yard sale. Praying always means, I just offended somebody, that's, you, your house is full of precious moments. Oh my goodness, my mother has precious moments. I'm not looking that way. Praying always doesn't mean always saying a prayer. Praying always means you continually have a conversation with God throughout the day, this day, this week, every day. I am not, I probably get in trouble here. This may even be perceived as controversial, but I don't think it is biblically. I'm not so concerned about whether you have a set hour of prayer every day. If you do, thank God for it. And we could use more prayer. And Jesus did say, could you not even tarry one hour? So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what I'm really concerned about is not that you have your 30 minutes or your 15 minutes or your 5 minutes or your one hour of prayer in the morning and then you just go through the day like everybody else in the, in the world, like everybody else at your job, like everybody else in your neighborhood. What I'm concerned about is that at a moment's notice, that you can be, you don't have to start a conversation with God. You've been in a conversation with God. You've had God on speakerphone in your spirit all day long. Now, some people don't like that because if God can hear you any minute, that means he can hear everything you're talking about, everybody you're talking to, everything you're thinking about because he's got a special speakerphone. And so some people don't like to leave God on speakerphone all day long. I love to have Jesus on speakerphone all day long. I love it when he taps me on the shoulder and says, not there, not now, not them, not that. I love it when Jesus just says, um, 
it'd be a good moment to just kind of praise me a little bit while you're going through this. Spend a disproportionate amount of time, a disproportionate amount of my year in hotel rooms. You seen one hotel room, you've seen every hotel room in the world. Unless it has bugs, and then that's a different thing altogether. They're all the same. But Jesus can walk into a hotel room when there's nobody there but you, and you and Jesus can have a conversation at a minute's notice. You can be driving in your car and you can talk to Jesus. You can be sitting in your lazy boy and talk to Jesus. You, you, you can be sitting on your couch watching TV, and that's probably a really good time for you to be talking to Jesus. And Jesus may have something to say. Praying always. Someone say praying always. But Paul adds something here. He says supplication in the spirit and supplication for all saints. One of the most powerful prayer words in the New Testament is this word supplication. But when we just look it up in the English dictionary, we strip it of so much of its power and authority. Because in the English dictionary, supplication, the sense is basically begging something from somebody. But in the scriptural language, supplication isn't just begging. Supplication is binding. To supplicate is to ask with passion and persistence and focus and just not give up. If I could put it this way, and the reason Paul says it here is supplication has a little bit of a military inference. Supplication is the prayer of military occupation. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what God wants to say at the end of our little prayer is, okay, now you get ready. I'm going to do that through you. I'm going to send you into that house, into that home, into your family, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, and when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I'm going to use you as my on-site observer to make sure that happens. Supplication is the prayer of military occupation. Please hear me, saints of God. You were not just equipped to entreat God, to beg him, to plead with him. You weren't just equipped to entreat God. You were equipped to enforce God's kingdom on this earth. And so if you'll pray in military terms, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and just go to pray in that word. And I will give unto thee the keys, Jesus said, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Maybe not the first five minutes. Maybe not the first five days. But whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Sometimes military occupation takes a little bit of time and a little bit of sweat and a little bit of effort and a little bit of insistence. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding is saying no to the devil. My goodness, if there was ever a time in the history of this planet when God's people need to stand up and say no to the devil, it's now. 
We're, we're too numbed. We're saying no to all kinds of political stuff and all kinds of movements and all kinds of people on social media. That's not where this world needs your no. The world needs your no in the prayer room where you talk to God about what's going on and say, Jesus, this isn't your will. This isn't what you want. This isn't according to your word. And you go to prayer and you bind that until it disappears. But there's another flip side of that. Binding is saying no to the devil. But here's something else we need. Loosing is saying yes to the Lord. Would to God we could get a bunch of Pentecostal people that talk about Pentecost, were born in Pentecost, grew up in Pentecost, cut their teeth on Pentecost. Would to God we could get some Pentecostals stirred up to say, God, I'm going to pray until you loose the revival that we've been talking about and preaching about and praying for. Somebody say, put on the whole armor. Somebody say, the whole armor of God. It's been there the whole time. The whole armor of God. It's easy to miss it. <laughs> the whole armor of God. It isn't your armor. It's God's armor. Do you know there's a story in the book of 1 Kings about a king that said, you know, we're going out to battle, but I don't want to get killed, so I'm going to put on a disguise because he would have been recognized by his armor. Do you know why David didn't want to wear Saul's armor when he went to fight Goliath? It didn't fit him. It wasn't his armor. This armor isn't your armor. It is the whole armor of God. Say, what's that mean? I think this is what it means. When you're wearing this armor (laughs) to the devil, it looks like God just walked in the room. And it's just little old you. But because you're wearing God's armor, because you've got that helmet on and that breastplate on and that girdle on and those sandals on and you're carrying that sword and you're carrying that shield of faith, when you walk in the room clothed in the armor of God to the devil, it looks like Jesus just walked in the room and he is terrified of people that get dressed up in the armor of God. So it's a good fight. Music, come back. We're going to come pray. Why is it a good fight? And Pastor Raymond, why would we take the last service of family month and talk about the shield of faith? There's why. Because if we ever get some parents that exercise their authority with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, It protects your kids. It protects your spouse. It protects your house. It protects your marriage. But we got way too many people coasting through life hoping Pastor Jack is going to preach something or Pastor Matt is going to pray something or Pastor Alex is going to do some kind of activity and that's just going to get us through one more week. I am not waiting on somebody else to put me in a spiritual wheelchair and roll me through this week. I am going to fight every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to reach every day. And God helping me and God being my strength, I am going to see the answer that God wants for me. 
I carry the shield of faith. It's not a dry shield that can be burned up by the enemy. It has been soaked in prayer. It has been soaked in the word. I'm getting another little soak in this morning right now. So I am not a wimp or a weakling. I am equipped for battle. Why is it a good fight? Number one, God is fighting for you. Number two, you win. Oh, I thought somebody would be happier than that about that. Somebody say, we win. Number three, the devil loses. You know why it's a good fight? Listen to me. Your battle has an expiration date. Your trial is not forever. Your valley is not forever. Your bad situation, your horrible circumstance is not forever. Your trial, your valley, your battle has an expiration date. But the mercies of God are new every morning. Long after this trial is a distant memory, you're going to be standing here in a service at CCC or standing around the throne in heaven worshiping God saying, that trial didn't outlast me. That battle didn't outlast me. That valley didn't outlast me. God is fighting for you. That's why it's a good fight. You win. That's why it's a good fight. The devil loses. That's why it's a good fight. Your battle has an expiration date. That's why it's a good fight. And what confounds hell and gives the devil a migraine headache is the fight only makes the church stronger. (laughs) Some through the water. Some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Devil, hear me. Look at me, wherever you are. The fight only makes me stronger. I'm going to be stronger to push you back tomorrow than I was this morning. Stand with me, everybody. Here's where we either get it or we don't. Reach over, grab somebody by the hand next to you. Lift that hand with yours and begin to pray. This great church, you know how to pray, so pray. You also know how to lift your voice, so lift up your voice. We are not in the pause before the song. We're in a prayer meeting right now. Somebody here, your mind is under attack. There's a shield of faith for you to pick up this morning. Somebody here, your home is under attack. Your marriage is under attack. There's a shield of faith that will beat back every fiery dart of the enemy. You just got to use it. You just got to use it.
Torre barre dorama mandorama koshemaha. We'll sing in a minute. Right now, I want this worship team because they have a vantage point. I want them to just lift up their hands over the rest of you. Altars open. I'm looking for some people that need a touch from God. You are under attack in some way. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your mind. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your finance. I don't know what it is, but you say, yeah, pastor, you weren't preaching into a black hole this morning. You were preaching to me. You were preaching to my home. You were preaching to my family. I want you to come to the altar this morning. As you're coming up the aisles, just keep coming, guys. There's room over through here. Same over here. I couldn't begin to meet 1% of the needs in this room, but my Jesus can meet every need. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So great church, lift up your hands and your voice, especially your voice, mostly your voice, most importantly your voice, and just pray for a minute. Yes, 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 yes. It's coming, it's on the way. That's why you got to insist on it. That's why you got to wield that sword more than one swipe. That's why you got to push back with that shield more than one time. Now, if this wasn't warfare, we could all just kind of stand there and watch. But this is warfare. You remember that shield of faith? When those soldiers would lock together their shield, one to another, one beside another, and they would push. They could literally push back a battalion of the enemy just by uniting their faith. Music team, give me a visual example. Everybody get in one line right beside each other, right beside each other, up close. That's what we're doing in the spirit right now. 
Everybody beside each other, up real close. Would you get next to somebody? Somebody can be healed this morning in the name of Jesus. Somebody can receive the Holy Ghost right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody's family can be delivered today in the name of Jesus. It's family month. Somebody's mind can be set free. Yes. Yes. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. The Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. Is there anybody sick in your body today? I want you to lift up your hand so we know. If you're sick in body, I want you to lift up your hand. If you see somebody next to you that has their hand lifted like this, would you lay your hand on them right now? We need to put your faith together with their faith. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. If you're sick in body, I speak the word because the word is what soaks that shield of faith. The word is what saturates that shield of faith. Let me tell you what the word says. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I will put none of these diseases upon thee. With his stripes we are healed. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's in the word. It saturates that shield of faith. They're going to sing in a minute, but we're going to keep praying. I'm looking for somebody in a rare moment of transparency. Because sometimes we do doctrine real well, but we don't do transparency real well. It's the last service of family month. We'll be continuing the series we started in family month. It'll go on into March. But this is the last service of family month. If there's some member of your family, it might be in your immediate family, in your house, or somewhere else. If there's some member of your family, maybe you, that is under attack by the enemy, rare moment of transparency, I want you to lift up your hand right now. Look at that. Look at that. That's called the last days is what that, that's called. Because the devil's trying to take out the church at the knees so they won't get on their knees and take him out. That's what he's trying to do. One more time, lift up those hands. Open your eyes, look around. You may have your hand lifted up, but I'm going to ask you to go to somebody else that has their hand lifted up. Maybe take them by the hand. Your hand that you lifted, I got a need. And their hand that they lifted, I got a need. And just join together. It's that shield of faith. When we lock them together, we can push the enemy back. Pray. Pray, church. Pray, CCC.
Pray apostolics. Pray Pentecostals.